Hello, and welcome to the Wild Blue Podcast, perspectives on aviation lives, lifestyles, and business. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Wild Blue Podcast, perspectives on aviation lives, lifestyles, and business. My name's Todd Mitten, and a Wild Blue uh, aircraft sales uh, salesman, and I'm joined today by another Wild Blue aircraft uh, sales associate, Mac Swindell. Mac, welcome uh, to Kansas City. It's nice to have you in town and not in Oklahoma, where you usually are. Absolutely. Thanks, Todd. It's uh, always fun to be in the office. Having you uh, in town gives us an opportunity to, to discuss uh, the other work that you do along with uh, aircraft sales here at Wild Blue, and that is you have the opportunity to fly a Pilatus PC-12 on a, on a uh, corporate-style mission. I thought that uh, the listeners might find that interesting. So uh, uh, tell us a little bit about the, the airplane you fly, first off. I do, It's uh, and I'm still pretty, I, I still feel like I'm pretty new to it. I've been flying this airplane a couple of years, but it's the first time that I've I've, uh, it's the first job that I've held where I was flying uh, in, in that kind of capacity. As you know, I previously had a 1979 A36 Bonanza that I owned for oh, about 10 years and flew it uh, on a lot of cross countries, traveled, used it in business, um, which actually prepared me pretty well to step up into this Pilatus when the opportunity became available. It's a newer Pilatus PC-12NG. It's a 2016 model. We've got about 1,100 hours on it, based in Enid, Oklahoma, at Woodring Regional Airport. Right, right. Uh, there's uh, three different entities that are all members on the airport, uh, on the airplane, uh, that use the airplane for both business and some personal travel. It is, and we have an opportunity, I think, to get into the mission of that airplane, the type of trips that you fly. I think that that I would like to learn more about that. So. Uh, but let me ask you first. You brought up it's a 2016 uh, PC-12 NG. What's the what do you mean NG? What? Well, the the big difference the NG is next gen, so that means okay. it's a different flight deck. So it's a Honeywell uh, flight deck. It's the uh, Apex system. So I've got you know PFDs, co-pilot side and uh, pilot side, and then uh, MFDs down the middle, and some nice, uh, not so much automation, but just some really nice. Uh, tools available to fly single pilot, which I do. I fly the airplane sure. single pilot. I'm I'm always up front by myself, and it's very very nice to have the capability and the situational awareness that that avionics um, layout provides. Well, now I think uh, it, first off, it's a big airplane. I have to say, I, I, when you stand next to a a PC twelve, it's it's a large. Airplane, how many seats do you have? What I mean, I, I hate to ask basic questions. Maybe our listeners know, but I want to. A normal configuration is, a, I think it's it's an executive configuration. So it's club seating in the back, six seats in the back, and then occasionally, probably thirty percent of the time, there will be somebody up up in the front in the right seat that will want to carry on a conversation with me. So, which, so do you often carry five, six people? I at would time, say or? what's normal is uh, anywhere from two to four folks in the back. But in addition, uh, we we've got we can move the seats around in the back a little bit and have two extra seats we can we can put in the okay. far aft cabin for a total of nine passengers. Mm -hmm. And there have been a handful of occasions I have filled the airplane completely up. So uh, what, not to make this into a, a check ride or something, what's the max gross uh, 
take well, off. Well, it's yeah, it's well up over ten thousand pounds. Wow. I'm normally operating, uh, you know, between eight and ten thousand pounds. Okay, and and then considering that, what kind of altitudes do you operate that airplane at typically? Well, I'm learning the, so the service ceiling on the airplane. It's a limitation of the aft pressure bulkhead is thirty thousand feet. Um, I'm I have discovered the real sweet spot where it seems to perform really, really well, and and uh, you know it's real efficient with the way it's burning fuel is anywhere between twenty and twenty-five thousand feet. So that's okay. You know, I'm in the flight levels. What kind of fuel you burn? I mean, I I don't mean jet fuel. I got that. Yeah, uh, yeah. What <laughs> what uh, I, I, I get up to cruise and fuel burn is on the order of. 400, 430 pounds per hour. Okay, very good. Uh, pretty efficient, then, it really, is, for carrying absolutely. that kind of load. And, you know, the book, True Airspeed for the Airplane, is about 280 knots, where um, I fly the airplane. My normal number that I'm working with is 270 knots. And so it's not the fastest airplane out there, but it's a nice big cabin and can haul a lot of load. And, frankly, you know, based in Enid, um, one thing that's pretty interesting about that home station is that we can hit either coast with nonstop with that airplane with oh, the fuel capacity. Right? So wow. I mean, it's kind of a longer trip, uh, but I've been, you know, I keep an eye on the uh, the average trip length and our average trip length for what, and this is kind of getting into operations, but it's right at like 1.7, 1.8 hours, so just under two hours. So the airplane fits that mission profile perfectly. Yeah, it sounds like you know, it. hitting the coast is a is a little longer, um, but but we do it oh on the order of maybe a handful of times a year. Wow. So uh, thinking about your transition, uh, obviously, you know, we, we sell airplanes here. We sell a lot of Bonanzas. You, you were a, a Bonanza owner, but you've also flown some other airplanes in the past. I know because we've talked about it. You flew a 310, some didn't. Flew, you know, a, flew a Turbo 310 in our model. Um, yeah. for, I have 300 and some 50 hours maybe in, a, in, that, in that 310. So uh, actually where I'm going uh you know, we work with a lot of Bonanza owners, and then so that transition to flying this large single-engine turboprop. Tell me how you how you did that, and 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 your thoughts on on a owner operator pilot maybe going down that path. What are your thoughts? Well, I think for me the learning curve. My my Bonanza was was still pretty. Uh, I mean, it was I did not have glass. It was a steam gauge airplane. I had an HSI, the most sophisticated piece of equipment I had in my panel was a, an old Garmin 430 with WAS. So I had a lot of capability. I mean, a lot of the technology sure. is that it's the same kind of approaches generally that I'm flying today. Um, but probably the biggest learning curve, the steep component of the learning curve was just learning my way around that apex system. And, uh, you know, I have a lot of, a, we have XM weather available as well, plus our onboard radar. So, you know, having that capability, um, it is, it's just, it's all added bonus. I mean, I feel like I'm, I have a lot of capability now that I did not previously. But what about the, uh, a couple of things that maybe some of our listeners who would be thinking down the road of a transition, I mean, a couple of the big things besides the avionics even, uh, I would think would be, okay, we're talking about a turboprop versus a piston airplane. We're talking about operating at higher flight levels. And then third, we're talking about more formal training. So, right. So maybe those issues. What What are your thoughts on in thinking about how you transitioned and and how you made that leap? 
And the, and the Pilatus might be kind of unique in that the airspeeds aren't that much different until I get to cruise and I'm going a lot faster sure. than I went in the Bonanza. But, you know, when I'm operating down in the airport environment and coming across, you know, on short final, my airspeeds are very similar to what I saw in the mm-hmm. Bonanza. So, I mean, mm-hmm. because there's so much trailing edge flap on that on that Pilatus, I can, I can get dirty and come in pretty slow. Um, which is nice. I mean, it's and it's got the trailing link gear, which makes the landings pretty forgiving. I mean, I've had a few that have taught me a lesson or two, but yeah. generally speaking, it's a really comfortable airplane with a lot of capability. The training, you know, um, well, it can. All all of my training's been at Simcom. I go to Orlando okay. every year for okay. recurrent. In addition to the recurrent training, which I'm about to go take again um, at the end of the month, actually, um, I had a initial training that was comprised of a full it was a seems like it was a full seven days i think i had a a weekend two-day course saturday and sunday that was an orientation to that apex system and then the training began you know ground and and in the simulator a full solid five days um, to get that check out in the airplane and i you know coming in um, based on the time i had a good amount of total time it seems like i had a little over two thousand hours total time but i didn't have any time in a turbine so even after I, I got home with my fresh um, initial training and from Simcom, the underwriter still required me to fly with a mentor pilot for about 100 hours, Okay, which was really, really very beneficial. Now, would you be able to do that for someone today now, uh, perhaps, and I mean, as a, uh, as a mentor pilot, uh, now that you've got six, 700 hours in this airplane? I would hope so. I mean, it's the underwriter's call. And, you know, this year insurance looks kind of different this year than it did even a year ago. Um, But I would think so. Yeah, that's that's kind of an interesting uh, thing. You go from the mentor to to the mentorer. Right, right. (laughs) Well, uh, what about, you know, you touched on on the turboprop and that. Did you find any significant challenge in in that? leap in the aviation world? I don't know that mechanically it was a, a real challenge. It, it actually, you know, I don't know that I have to be as careful with some things. So in the Bonanza, it's a normally aspirated air-cooled Lycoming, I mean, right. continental engine. Uh, so I was, I probably managed it, uh, was more attentive to the way I cooled it, um, that sort of thing. Just, of course, I'm I'm an owner and picking up the tab on the airplane as right. well. I feel like the, uh, the, the turbine might just have a, a little more capability to adapt a little quicker maybe than, uh, than I did before. I will say, you know, I'm, I'm always carrying passengers. I very rarely fly the Pilatus by myself. So we were actually talking about this as you and Chris yesterday, you and Chris being airline pilots, you know, I'm always sensitive to the ride that my backseaters are forgetting. Yes. So I would say one of the things that I'm maybe more sensitive to now than I used to be is just a good, smooth descent, um, thinking well ahead of the airplane so that I can plan, you know, a, a, a very comfortable ride. And, and, and I know what, depending on who's sitting in the back, I know what they can, they can tolerate and which ones, you know, really appreciate uh, uh, I, that attention to a good smooth. I, I know exactly what you ride. mean because it does make a difference, you right. know, when you know who's who's with you. But yeah, that's a that's good awareness, I think, you know. And 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 then, you know, you were telling a story just today about uh, going into DFW one day, and we don't need to go into the whole story. But the but I think what I want to get at is the the fact that uh, many owner 
operators may or may not have spent a lot of time flying into busier airport environments, but you made that leap. I don't, and I don't know how much you've done when you were in your Bonanza, probably a little, uh, but now it's a regular thing for you to be flying into busier environments, isn't it? It is. And, you know, it's DFW and, and you know, some of the more memorable ones over the last couple of years. I've gone into McCarran. I've gone into uh, Phoenix, Sky Harbor. Sure. And, you know, the one thing that really changes is, you know, I hear keep your speed up uh, more often than I ever did before. And it's necessary. And, you know, so sometimes I am burning the jet A just about as much as I can to, to keep mm-hmm. my speed up because somebody's on on my heels, on my six, that's uh, it's coming in pretty hot well, in, I, in my world. No, well, but yeah, that's exactly right. And the, and the controllers, you're just a blip on the on their radar, and so they look at you as capabilities of the 737 that's following. Right. So. And I will say one thing that's enjoyable, you know, as I learn this airplane and become more comfortable in it, one thing that's enjoyable about that PC-12 is how adaptable it is and how quickly you can slow it down, you know, on a very short final and, and bring the numbers down and, and land very comfortably. How uh, transition-wise you were successful, I, I, very obviously, in moving from, from essentially a Bonanza, although a decent amount of twin-engine time, which that, that 310R is a fast airplane. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a good air. But uh, do you, is it any big deal to transition all the way up to that big airplane, the Pilatus, or, or would it be... What about a guy just going to a TBM or a Piper Meridian or jet prop? What's your thoughts on well, that? Well, I, I haven't been in a Meridian, haven't been in a jet prop. I would love to fly both of those. Uh, one of these days, I've got a friend with an M600 that went from a G36 Bonanza into that M600. Oh, okay. And that That's was a pretty, pretty smooth transition, and okay. he just loves it. And it's you know a lot of the same kind of things that we, we kind of share notes. And uh, you know just the ability to get up in the flight levels. You know, with the service ceiling at 30,000, you and I have joked about that as well. You know, there's still a lot of weather that I can't get over, but there's a lot that I used to have to fly under that I right. can't get over now. And he's experiencing the same kind of thing in that M600. So, and at the same time, you know, we're, we're discovering that, you know, at the, at the tops of some of those systems, that's not where you want to be either. You know, so <laughs> yeah, that's, um, it's always, weather is always a challenge. We could do a whole nother podcast right. on, on weather, and I'm sure our listeners could also in many cases, tell us a lot of weather stories that uh, it's just the nature of the business. And particularly, and that's a difference, too, that now you, as a, uh, a professional pilot, a corporate pilot, uh, talk to me about how that has, when you were flying your Bonanza, I presume, you know, I, you're still the pilot in command, but right. the pressure to go was all, it was only self-induced. What about now that you have... Uh, the quote-unquote paying customers in the back. How, how do you deal with that? That's that's a good question. That's a good discussion point. You know, I uh, my role is not all that unique. I mean, I I fly for multiple people, and I'm the only pilot, and I'm I I essentially operate the department. So I'm the same. It's it's me that stocks the snack cabinet, ices the drinks, cleans the toilet, and flies the airplane. So there's a lot of things, you know, when it's time to go, I show up at the airport, there's a lot of things to tend to before we go. You know, I'm doing the flight planning, I'm building everything out. Um, The Pilatus is a versatile airplane, but it doesn't do everything. And a good example is I departed from Eagle just a few weeks ago on a Saturday. If if anybody is listening to this podcast kind of real time or near time, there's still fires that are burning in Colorado that were getting started when I went into Eagle and there was one on the west side and one on the east side 
Um, long story short, it was when the heat dome was dominating the western part of the country. Right. And uh, temps there were very hot. They were up around 90 degrees when we departed with eight people on board and gear. So we were very, very heavy. And um, if I would, if I had been required to depart IFR that day, I, I could not have maintained the climb gradient required to get out mm -hmm. of the SID. So there are limitations. And I guess the point I'm making is there are limitations with anything. And I just, anybody needs to be sensitive to those and be aware of those and continue to maintain sufficient margins. I don't know if that answers the questions, but, but those are the things that I'm really looking for. And I, I very much appreciate the support and the encouragement I get from everybody that I fly, um, that my decision, that they, they completely trust my decision. And there have not, because of the capability of the Pilatus, I haven't canceled or I haven't postponed trips very often. Uh, but when it has happened, uh, it's been nothing but supportive. That's good to hear. That's uh, <clears throat> sounds like you fly for some good people and, and maybe in a minute we can touch on that. But you brought something else up that is, uh, uh, you're really the chief cook and bottle washer the whole bit. So how do you... Uh, Clean the bugs off the whole nine yards. Uh, uh, flight planning, do you, you use a typical software uh, for flight or something along you those You know, there's lines? a lot of great applications out there. there really uh, I, I kind of got started years ago for my flight planning using just flightplan.com. And I sure. still use that today and, uh, you know, have a lot of profiles... Well, have the airplane profile, have a lot of resources, uh, uh, kind of canned, so to speak, flight plans that I've already put together that are there. Makes it very, very simple. But I do also use for flight, not for flight planning, but I always look at it. Um, and I keep it on an iPad with me. And, you know, I've got a lot of information available uh, right there in that Apex flight deck. But I, I've always got my iPad right next to me where I can pull it up and do a little extra research when the time when I've got time to do it, when, when I've got questions that I need to answer. So it's, it's a great resource. Uh, how about, this is, see, I think of things sometimes from an, an airline and airline dispatch perspective, you know, that decisions that now you're, you're having, you're not just looking at paperwork and validating, you're actually making the decisions. And so along those lines, fuel, uh, what, do you have a do you have a sort of a ramp fuel load you like to leave in the airplane or what, what how do you handle that well so based on that fuel burn you know the general rule of thumb with a pretty good margin remaining is just considering I'm I already said I'm burning 400 430 pounds per hour so if I've got 500 pounds that kind of represents an hour worth of flight I really it's just where I'm comfortable I yeah. I really try to target coming back coming back home wherever my destination is landing with 700 pounds on the airplane so I work backward from that number, uh, yeah. and then as long as my, you know, whatever, however I'm loading the cabin, however I anticipate we're going to load the cabin, um, that's that's the number, that's my benchmark. I, I work from there. The, the the things that would change that would be depending on where I'm going. You know, we're I'm, I'm cost conscious as well. Sure. Uh, and we are members of the Corporate Aviation Association, Corporate Aircraft CAA. Um, we get some pretty nice discounts and there's some fees that are waived and, and, you know, when it makes sense, I will, uh, I will purposefully target, uh, CAA member FBO to do business with. Okay. Um, but there's, you know, no matter where you go, there's always a minimum fuel order. So I account for that as well. So you talked about that kind of brings up another area. You mentioned it briefly. I think you fly for, is it three different 
They're uh, different groups. Owners, and they mm-hmm. share ownership in the airplane That's or some correct. kind of deal like that. Uh, is that difficult to manage, or uh, how, how do you manage scheduling and, and maybe conflicts and things of that nature? Well, what makes it work is that they are all Enid people, and they've known each other for decades, and they get along very, very well. And, you know, otherwise, I, I could envision it would it could be challenging, but we just maintain a Google-based shared calendar. That, oh, okay. And, you know, it's a first-come, first-serve kind of arrangement, and uh, they're all very, very willing to work with, with one another. If somebody has a trip on the calendar and somebody else has a pretty pressing, urgent trip on the calendar, um, we've everybody's always open to discuss that. But in addition to that, uh, we have an interchange agreement with another group, another company on the field that has a PC-12 as well. And so we, we, oh. will, we will cross cover each other when, when needed. That is, that's really handy. That's a neat setup. The whole thing is, it just sound, and then your trips, your, uh, I mean, I know sometimes you go somewhere and spend several days to a week and other times it's out and back. So I've heard you talk about Cedar Rapids, St. Joseph, uh, I think Santa Fe. Right. Uh, uh, well, of course, you mentioned something like DFW and McCarran. Uh, but you really, and you go east much at all? I don't hear you talk well, too just, much about going Just got back from the Mid-Atlantic, but, you know, that was, it's kind of one off. You know, they're, and, and the business model, the, these are three different businesses, and their interests change from time to time. Um, but, you know, literally, we, we kind of go all over. I've had a couple of, international trips. I mean, I was in Vancouver. Um, was it last summer? I went to Vancouver, got to take a trip over the sound, you know, over to Victoria. That was really cool and fun. Yeah, uh, I bet. But, you know, we, we have, uh, like I said, we've got trips to each coast uh, on the order of maybe five or six times a year. Uh, but we've also got some folks that fly internationally on bigger trips than I could manage uh, to Europe. And, you know, since we are based in Enid, the Pilatus makes a great little hub and spoke spoke airplane, so I can go drop that. That's that's generally when DFW, I'm going to DFW. Yeah, sure. It's because I'm I'm either dropping off or picking up from an, an international flight. Well, that is a, that's a great point, and really what I was uh, kind of topic I wanted to go to next is how how your passengers must enjoy the fact that they don't they control so much of their own movement on the airplane in terms of. We're not talking about going through security. We're we're talking about uh, safe, comfortable environment, and then uh, and and I just think it's such a plug for general aviation. Absolutely. And and I really think too that you know your knowledge and expertise in in the single engine turboprop world just it really just brings me to the point that that you know if if our listeners have questions. Uh, about that, I would I would suggest that they give you a call, Mac. I mean, absolutely. And, and to that point, you know, it's a it's the whole system. So anyone that's familiar with general aviation has been out there a while. It's not just me. It's not just a flight group. But we we rely on very helpful, very accommodating, solid FBOs as well. So I mean, so much of what I do ahead of time is arrange. Um, a lot of our trip details with the FBOs at my destination. So to your point, you know, when we land and taxi up on the ramp, wherever it is we're going next on the ground, our FBOs have got it all teed up. And yeah. we can very, it's it's a very seamless thing. And it, uh, you're right, it saves a lot of time and it's very convenient. And uh, it really is a, an efficient way to get around. Well, it is. We see that here, uh, to give a little plug to Atlantic Aviation, where our, uh, Wild Blue's main office is, uh, 
uh, here at uh, MKC, Kansas City Downtown Airport. You know, you watch the work they do bringing cars out and having things ready to go for uh, for the user. It's just tremendous, and I'm sure you see that all the time. Well, and I'll add to that, you know, for especially for these places that we go that where we're repeat customers, where we go mm. at a fairly high frequency oh, yeah. on a recurring basis. I mean, you establish a relationship with those FBO uh, folks and it's it's really enjoyable to have that relationship and to catch up with them and uh, you know just to get to get together you know at a, on a recurring basis. Sure, yeah, absolutely. Yep, I understand that completely. And I, I'll tell you, Mac, this to me has been very interesting. I I really find what you do to be uh, uh, just fascinating. I, I I love the freedom that we talk about general aviation at at any level, giving us the freedom to to move and and there you're in a in a business sense what those businesses accomplished thanks to that airplane i'm sure they i'm sure none of them want to be without it well and and so just as an example you know i took i actually i ran a little shuttle here a few months i guess it was last year when i did it actually and took took one group because of the number of people that they wanted to take i had to run them i had to run a shuttle i had to go fly so we filled the airplane up i took the first group out to colorado springs i came back home i grabbed the second group took them back to colorado springs it was for an on-site meeting that they had uh, but again, because they're based there in Eden, Oklahoma, that's not served by uh, yeah, commercial airlines, commercial airline, yep. you know, the time that it took for me to, to even do that saved them tons of time versus having to commute. I guess the closest airport for them would be an hour and a half away to catch a, a scheduled flight. Got to so, be there early, got to go through security, right. Get you know, probably Potentially, it's not going to be a nonstop to Colorado Springs. It's probably going to go somewhere else first. Yeah, sets. And on top of that, uh, because of the efficiency of the PC-12, uh, you know, it was a very cost-efficient, cost-efficient, cost-effective way uh, right. to move all those folks. Right. Well, again, it's just I really appreciate you taking the time to to tell both me and our listeners some uh, aspects of what you do on a day-to-day basis and. And I think we could go on this topic for a long time, but we better wrap this up right now. And uh, so, Mac, uh, again, Mac Swindell has been uh, our guest, and and Mac has a lot of knowledge about single-engine turboprop operations. And so if he can help you with that, or or myself, Todd, or uh, Chris Kirk here at Wild Blue can help uh, you with any of uh your questions about general aviation or whatever, we'd be more than happy to talk to you. Give us a call, 888-773-4249, or look us up on the web at flywildblue.com. Mac, thank you again, and, and it's good talking with you. It's all fun. Thanks, Todd. Thanks for listening to the Wild Blue Podcast. Find us online at flywildblue.com. And don't forget to subscribe and share.